Welcome to the podcast. Today, Glenn takes a bunch of phone calls from people trying to figure out the world right now and, and what they've been seeing. It's, it's interesting to hear from around the country right now. As you know from the mainstream media, all we're hearing is basically what's going on in New York City, which is where most of these people live. So they are very fo- focused on it, but there's a whole world out there and, and lots of different things going on. We go through a bunch of that uh, today. We go into uh, whether the new Malaysian approach to the coronavirus is the right one. It's kind of interesting. Boris Johnson uh, in the hospital with coronavirus. We'll get into that a little bit. Um, also, what to do with your kids in quarantine. If you're in that situation, you know it's, it's, it's interesting. To say the least, we have a coronavirus update. Um, we have um, the incredible new development of left-wing media sources um, who uh, have been touting the reusable grocery bag for a very, very long time, uh, now having to deal with the fact that they're banning them everywhere because of coronavirus, which is just just bizarre. Uh, that's all coming up on today's program. Also, to let you know, you can subscribe to uh, Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash Glenn. If you use the promo code Glenn, you can get 30 bucks off. It's our biggest discount ever. And tomorrow, Tuesday, April 7th, the big release of Arguing with Socialist Glenn's new book. We're going to need arguments against socialists more than ever after this coronavirus thing is over and throughout it, I'm sure. So it's a very well-timed book uh, that uh, is fun to read and has all the facts you'll need to win every argument against a socialist. It's available in every uh, bookstore that's not going to be open, but you can order it, of course, online uh, at Amazon or anywhere else you get your books or glennbeck.com. The best of the Glenn Beck program. All right, so our coronavirus update from Johns Hopkins University. Total confirmed cases worldwide now 1,284,000. That's up over a quarter of a million since Friday. Total confirmed deaths now 70,000. That's up 1,600. Uh, sorry, 16,100 from uh, Friday. Total confirmed recovered, 271. 5% of active cases are considered serious. Steady from 5% on Friday. Down from 19 back at the high in February. And 11% of U.S. confirmed cases are still requiring hospitalization. Roughly on par with Italy at 12%. Spain, 17% are requiring hospitalization. We now have 336,851 new confirmed cases. That is up almost 100,000. On Friday, I gave you the death count of 6,000. Today, it is 9,620. We now have about 1% of the population tested. They're saying now, according to the New York Times, that the U.S. death toll is off a bit, only by about 100%. COVID-19 deaths in the U.S. may be undercounted by half. Inconsistent protocols, limited resources, patchwork of decision-making have led to an undercounting of people with the coronavirus who have died. Let me give you a couple of examples from the New York Times. First one, a a coroner in Indiana wanted to know if the coronavirus had killed a man in early March, but said her health department denied a test. 
Example two, paramedics in New York City say many, many patients die at home are never tested for coronavirus, even if they shown if they showed all of the signs of infection with death certificates marked as cardiac arrest, respiratory failure or unknown. An example three in Virginia, funeral director prepared the remains of three people after health workers cautioned her that they each had tested positive for coronavirus. But one of the three, only one of the three had COVID-19 on the death certificate. We definitely know there are COVID-19 deaths that are not accounted for. That's across the country. They say that it is uh, it's 100 percent off. The same effect has occurred in Italy, Spain, Ecuador, and China, where the rate at which patients are dying and lack of testing led to chronic undercounting of COVID-19-related deaths. As reported by The Blaze last week, citing the Wall Street Journal and Al Jazeera, Ecuador healthcare officials in some areas have taken to burning bodies in empty parking lots or burying bodies in mass graves, with most of the deaths, the deaths never tested for COVID-19. In one Italian uh, village, a mayor reported he had more than 300 bodies, presumed COVID-19, which officials had not picked up or counted in Italy's official numbers. The army told us on Friday, then Sunday, we're still waiting, he said. Virus can contaminate face masks up to seven days. Oh, jeez. Have we decided on what the face mask thing is, Stu? Are we? They did a national recommendation that when you're out in public, you should wear them. However, they also say that you need to be washing them because if you just keep popping on the same one or or handling the mask after you've used it, there may be virus on the mask anyway, so it's not really going to do you much good. It's like one of of my favorite parts about, I mean, look, there's not a lot of positives coming out of this. Uh, but uh, one of my favorite stories was the the fact that now all of these grocery stores are banning the reusable bags and going back to the disposable oh, bags. Oh, I love that. Because, I love that. <laughs> because of, you know, the virus, which, you know, it's funny because this has been a legitimate problem for a long time with reusable bags because people take their bag and they put the meat in the bag and the the juice or whatever leaks out and it you know does all the stuff you're supposed to wash it every time every time and the fun part about washing it every time is it eliminates any environmental positive that you would get so if you don't wash it every time there's a slight environmental positive though you're risking your health in serious ways if you do wash it out it's worse for the environment than plastic bags so no big deal no No big big deal. deal Uh, so your face mask could be effective for seven days, but don't worry about it. Um, the fact check from USA Today I found interesting. Finally, they got around to this one. Did Obama deplete U.S. national stockpiles of N95 masks? Did you hear this? If you're a conservative, you probably heard this. If you're a liberal, you probably didn't hear this. Uh, yes. According to USA Today, now they've finally taken up the uh, the the uh, the task. He he geared us up for a swine flu and hurricane and flooding cleanup operations in 2009. And then again, in 2012, they used all the N95 masks or a lot of them and then never put them back in stockpile. So didn't replenish. That's one of the reasons why Donald Trump, he's so bad. We don't have any masks. Uh, yeah, that would be somebody didn't put more on the shelf. 
Uh, that would be Barack Obama. Yeah, there actually is an interesting story today, too, about how George W. Bush was obsessed with the pandemics. He he read the 1918 yes. uh, flu pandemic book, which we've talked about before. Uh, it's a pretty, you know, it's yes, probably the, the great biggest, influenza. It's yeah. great. Yeah, it's the, probably the biggest, yeah. well-known, best-known book about the uh, 1918 flu. Yeah. And he read it and was like, look, this is serious. We need to be prepared for it, even when we don't see it coming, because right around when it hits it's going to be too late and he spent tons of times and time and resources preparing the u.s government for this and then it was whittled away by uh you know largely obama i mean it it was really a big deal to bush personally Uh, it was abandoned once obama took over and you know you could make the argument that trump should have uh, you know brought all these things back in his first three years there's not you know there's no blameless person here overall but still obama seems to be the one who really did not prioritize this as much as you would have hoped throughout this and it's costing well it didn't now. prioritize quite honestly anything i mean when it comes to disaster you don't have a stockpile and then not replenish it if you're using it you have to at the end go back and replenish and they didn't and, uh, you know, I don't blame I don't blame Donald Trump for that. And I don't blame Obama for not carrying through with George Bush's thing. I do blame him for or his administration for not replenishing it. That that's your responsibility. I mean, you know, we all learn that with our moms. Can somebody I mean, you just want to replace the toilet paper or is that all I live for is just replacing everybody's toilet paper? There's a new role underneath the sink. <laughs> I mean, we all we all got that from our mom. That's exactly what Barack Obama should have heard. Um, latest casually, as we told you earlier today, Corona beer has officially stopped production. <sighs> no, it's not that we're that stupid. Mexico has finally gotten a clue and said that uh, that's not an essential business. I think there'd be a lot of people that would disagree with that, uh, but they have shuttered the uh, beer business. Uh, Japan and Hong Kong may declare a new state of emergency because the virus has re-emerged. Both Japan and Hong Kong saw new waves of COVID-19 cases as travel and work restrictions were lifted about 10 days ago. This couldn't be worse news. And then the Surgeon General came out and said this is going to be the hardest and saddest for most Americans' lives. He said this is going to be the grimmest period of the COVID-19 pandemic in the United States. This is, quote, going to be our Pearl Harbor moment, our 9-11 moment. It's going to be localized and it's going to be happening all over the country. And I want Americans to understand that. I want Americans to understand that as hard as this week is going to be, there's light at the end of tunnel. Do you have that feeling at all, Stu, that this is going to be the hardest, most grim or though, or I thought you were going to say, is there light at the end of the tunnel? Is what I'm feeling. Um, yeah, no. I mean, do you feel like it's that? Like, do you feel this? What he was saying? Uh, well, because I, mean, I look, don't. Worth seeing. We're going to be seeing. We're seeing thousands of people die a day. I mean, remember the beginning. Your your whole. What did you, you said this? I think last week. It's currently the third largest cause of death in America. Right. Did you say yes. that right yes. now? It's third. Yes. Um, you know, and if it just stayed stable, didn't grow, just stayed stable by the end of the month, it would be the number one killer. The number uh, one pandemic in the last hundred years. The number years, one pandemic right? 
last hundred years. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's that's, been... That's pretty remarkable. It's been pretty significant. I mean, I, again, like, especially... My situation's different than probably most of the people listening in that I'm still coming to work every day. Like, I was talking to people this weekend yeah. who could... They were like, wait, what? You're still going in? Like, how is that possible? You know, uh, in a lot of parts of the country, it, you know, it's not like it is in New York. But, I mean, there are several major cities who are about to go through the same thing that New York is going through. We've bought a little bit of time, hopefully, and some of the resources will get to the right spots. The president was pretty uh, upbeat about getting the right amount of ventilators and such to each location. Hopefully, that can actually Seattle happen. sending their vent. Seattle sending their vents to uh, New York, which great. is great. Yeah. I mean, so hopefully, I mean, I do have a lot of confidence that when the United States decides something's a legitimate thing to focus on, we do pretty well at it usually. You know, it takes us mm-hmm. time sometimes to pick these things up early. We talked about this with terrorism, right? Like, you know, we were not necessarily taking it seriously for a long time. And then all of a sudden, one, one, one Tuesday morning, we all kind of like, holy crap, this is a really important thing. And we took it very seriously after that. Um, and we tend to do those things, you know, when we really put our mind to it, we do pretty well. And you could see like the way that these companies are coming together, making, you know, building the masks and the face shields and ventilators. And, you know, we are the testing is another one. I keep I keep spouting this and no one seems to care about it. It's because it was a narrative apparently two weeks ago and no longer applies. But the idea that the United States had basically no tests at all three weeks ago and is now doing one hundred and fifty thousand a day. We're up close to two million tests already. We've tested now more than any other um country you know and who knows with china you you throw them out because you don't we don't know but we i mean we've we've stepped that up quickly we have these rapid tests coming and between that and the potential antibody tests you have a situation where we could get a handle on this and operate our country in a relatively somewhat normal fashion even before we get a cure or a treatment you know, it's amazing because I, I watched, I told you, I think on Friday that I watched Sky News uh, from England and uh, there were two, two stories that stuck out right at the top of the hour. One was the private sector saying, please let us make ventilators. Let us make masks. Mm-hmm. The private market was begging the government to allow them to make medical things and the government wasn't doing it. The very next story was, the government's and look it up. It's unbelievable. The government's five uh, five step plan to be at a hundred thousand covid tests by the end of this month. What? What? Too the late. five yeah. step plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, holy mother, you're kidding me. We're doing a million a day. And we were the country that was, oh, we have no clue as what. No, this is the capitalist system. Yep. This is the capitalist system. And, you know, there's this, this is what there's this thing going around about how, oh, there's no libertarians in a pandemic. It's the opposite. Everybody turns into libertarians in the pandemic. The most left leaning. Yes. I want big government people all see when it gets really important. They get rid of all those dumb restrictions, all the licensing issues, all of the long approval processes. You know, there's these things we talked about, Glenn, a little bit certificate of need laws, which are laws that yeah. say, hey, uh, when you want to build a new 
hospital. You have to go to the state and say, I think they need a new hospital. And the state has to tell you, yeah, we agree with you. After hearing the opposing opinion from people in the community who know best, namely the competition you'd have in the hospital that already exists. So they come in and they, mm-hmm. of course, don't approve a lot of these hospitals. The same thing goes with, uh, you know, important medical equipment like MRIs and ventilators, right? So they mm-hmm. go they go through this. They had at one point... Um, 49 states had these they started to whittle away as you know as reagan went on um but i think it was at something like 36 states when the pandemic started i think it's 15 of those states most of them most hard hit by this uh you know pandemic have all waived those laws now so that people can bring in more beds and can bring in more ventilators but you it does very little use once the pandemic has already begun like, if you had an open system and there were enough beds there already, you wouldn't have to worry about these things last second. Instead, they're bringing ships in off the, off the coast. These are the kinds of things that you will learn about in Arguing with Socialists. The new book, it comes out officially tomorrow. You can order it on Amazon right now. I think this is really important to make this a number one best-selling book, even top five best-selling book uh, from the New York Times. It would send a real message uh, this week in the pandemic if everybody's like, oh, no, we want government. We want government. No, no, no. Arguing with Socialists. Buy your copy now uh, and get it wherever you buy books. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. A great battle against an invisible enemy. All of these things that Donald Trump has said, um, they're true, and they make perfect sense. Even Trump's most ardent supporters and, uh, and his most ardent opponents, both of them, say this is a once-in-a-generation emergency and we should be on wartime footing. And the opponents of Donald Trump, many of them, have called for more and more power to be handed to. No. No, let me get this right. To be taken by the president to do battles against this invisible enemy. Everything from commandeering manufacturing plants to logistics to shipping companies, pharmaceutical manufacturing, research, nationalizing the banks. What is going on? You said he was a tyrant. You're opposed to him and you're just telling him to do all these things. No. And thank God. We have a president that understands the free market president that is preferred to form a partnership with private industries to wage the war, turning America's great companies to produce masks and respirators and ventilators and medicine and vaccines. All the things that will ensure our country can and will prevail while keeping them private. The United States and the entire world, they are engaged right now in a great battle against an unseen enemy. An enemy that threatens to kill our people, destroy our nation, and our way of life. And it's an enemy that we have seen and fought before as a people. We've faced this enemy throughout human history over and over and over again. We've had to battle it. All of us are descendants of survivors of the countless previous wars that humanity has had to fight against this hidden enemy of man. The enemy is a disease. The enemy is a virus, but the enemy is not SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus. 
the virus we're actually fighting against, the unseen, the one that wants to remain unseen, is slavery. And you can call it what you want, socialism, collectivism, communism, statism, despotism, authoritarianism, whatever you want to call it, it's slavery. People's individual liberty captured for the benefit and the betterment of everybody else. Those are all forms of enslaving some men to the will of others. That's slavery. A virus is a biological construct. And doing battle against a virus requires treating both the symptoms caused by the infection as well as finding a vaccine that can destroy the virus as well. But slavery is also a political and moral construct. It's a social disease caused by an immoral idea spread by unthinking, unfeeling human beings who transmit the disease to others, turning them into factories that produce more unthinking, unfeeling human beings. They take over the lives of more and more people within a society or a country until that country is completely destroyed. It's defenses exhausted and doing battle against slavery requires treating both the symptoms caused by the infection within a society as well as finding a cure that can destroy the idea itself president donald trump is absolutely right this is a war he's also correct that we fought this type of war before but this is not a war against the coronavirus That, quite frankly, is child's play. As terrible as it is, COVID-19 is not going to kill us. Might kill a few of us, but we will prevent the spread. We will find a cure. America and the world will survive this pandemic as it has survived millions of others in the past. Each of us is a descendant of survivors of a thousand biological plagues. The president is right. We cannot let the cure for COVID-19 be worse than the disease itself. And he has the right idea in terms of the outcome here. We can't let our response to coronavirus destroy the American economy. Now, when I say the American economy, it seems cold and callous. Because that's not really the objective. To save the economy is not the objective a healthy, productive American economy will enable people to generate wealth and accumulate things and to be healthier, to be safer, to be more free. That's a consequence. That's an outcome. It's not a cause in itself. What has enabled the American economy to be the most robust and powerful engine for human ingenuity, productivity, wealth generation. Individual liberty. Men free to think. Men free to build. Men free to fail. To seek new achievements and to be rewarded for doing so. And punished by their own actions, the consequence of their own actions, a natural consequence, they fail. They have a right to compete with each other, 
driving each other to be smarter, to work harder, to find the better way to solve problems. That's America. That's not the economy. That's America. That's the battle we're in. That's the battle we're fighting to save. If the cure for COVID-19 is the slavery of some men for the benefit and betterment of others, then COVID-19 perhaps should take us all. If the cost of defeating the biological virus is that we then die on the table to political and moral disease of collectivism, then Trump's fear will have proved to be right. And the cure will have been much worse than the disease. I want you to look at what's been proposed. In the U.S., the government should take over every major industry from healthcare to pharmaceutical companies, grocery, food delivery, airlines, shipping, transportation, construction. Take it over. Banking, take it over. Stock market, take it over. On the global scale now, the United Nations is now calling for a permanent 10% global tax on the GDP of every country. Now, they say this is designed to, you know, fight COVID-19. Permanent? Permanent 10% tax to enable the U.N. to fight future pandemics as well as the ongoing pandemic, climate change. Oh, and poverty and income inequality and sexism and nationalism and a thousand other isms that are really, really super unfair. The United States is less than 5% of the world's population, but we represent 25% of the world's GDP. So the UN is effectively proposing that about 4% of the population transfer 10% of our wealth each year to support the remaining 96% of the human race. If you don't think that's fair, well, I just call it a progressive income tax. But I will tell you this. That leads to our destruction. And if you think it's unfair, then maybe you should do some rethinking. Because maybe you've been pushing from the wrong policies here in America. Because it kind of feels like the world wants to destroy us. What's proposed here is nothing short of permanent enslavement of the United States for the betterment and benefit of every other national on earth. There's no doubt in my mind that humans will survive COVID-19 and we'll do it in spectacular fashion. But the plague of collectivism, the idea that some men should be slave to others, that's the oldest idea in the book. That some people have some sort of right to lay claim to the intellect and productive energies of others. That's the real battle here. That's the true invisible enemy that we must yet again defeat ask yourself this would it would you have some right to charge into mike lindell's my pillow bedding factory and point a gun to him and his workers and force them to produce cotton face masks to avoid being shot now this sounds ridiculous sounds preposterous and all rational thinking human beings would clearly see that is immoral in a criminal act but they don't see it as immoral and criminal in vast amounts of the of the world that's happening in the world and yet there are people here proposing to do that they just didn't say you'd get shot but they're coming in with the full force of the government and at the end it's whoever has the guns now maybe some people say well i don't want the united states to do that i want the u.n to do that now i want somebody you know in a blue helmet 
but I'm okay if they have a U.S. Marshals badge. Now, let me ask you this. Does Mike Lindell have the right to choose to convert his factory over to making cotton face masks at his own expense and to pay his workers to make those masks instead of making pillows? Yes. Yes, that is his moral choice. a human being engaged in activity that he believes to be virtuous and right and yes for the love that all is of all that is holy and profitable just as with COVID-19 the defeat of all forms of slavery should be an inevitability and yet from every corner of our country there is a call for the forced enslavement of some people for the benefit of others We are on the verge of losing everything that we have always held dear. On the verge of losing the things that matter the the most to not just us, but what we want our children to be able to have. A future where they chart their own course. A future where they can live and grow and be free and live their dreams Yes, experience some nightmares from time to time. But those nightmares won't define them unless they choose the nightmare. Trump has this exactly right. We cannot let the cure for COVID-19 come at the cost of our economy. And if that's the objective, then it's our original principles, individual liberty, freedom of movement, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, Freedom to defend yourself. Those are the things that need to be defended. That's how we protect and restore our economy and our country. That's how we ensure that our children's children will also be descendants of survivors of plagues and pandemics. Whether they're biological or the moral kind. This is why I wrote arguing with socialists because i know the fight is on and we have to be in that fight and i wrote this not only for you it's easy to read it's very very funny it's in the style of arguing with idiots which was our biggest uh, seller i think um and uh, it's for color it's like a it's almost like a comic book in parts and it's one of those books that you can pick up and read from anywhere um and we did that because i'm riddled with add but also because it was really effective. We saw um, in all of the books that we have written, Inconvenient Book and Arguing with Idiots, those two books in this style were the ones that people consumed themselves, learned a lot from, and then gave it to their children or their grandchildren. And their grandchildren used it in college essays, high school essays, elementary school essays and i've heard for for years how those books had been used because they all have footnotes in them so you don't ever quote me you quote the people who actually said it we need to arm ourselves with ammunition we need to know that this cure is not being called socialism but this cure is socialism. It is the modern monetary theory. It is universal basic income. It's a socialist dream. 
book is officially out tomorrow. You can have it at your house tomorrow if you order it now at Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Arguing with Socialists, it is out tomorrow. Make sure you grab it. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So there's a couple of things that are going on that we should probably talk about. Uh, don't buy into any of this 5G crap. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's big overseas uh, in, uh, in, in Great Britain. They're, they're burning down the 5G masts, the, uh, the big cell towers, uh, because apparently 5G uh, is weakening our immune system. And so uh, that's why the Chinese got it, because they were the first to be able to have 5G. Their immune system was so weak. And now if you have 5G, um, your immune system is that that's that's what's causing this. So uh, they're telling people now to act now and uh, burn those towers down. And uh, and I don't know, is our is Great Britain making cell towers out of like, you know, old wooden roller coasters or <laughs> How exactly are they burning them down? Most uh, of them are. We like to make them out of steel. Most of them are out of a sterno logs, which is a strange thing to build <laughs> right, a, a right, tower right. out of. Once but. you start them, yeah, once you start them, they, they don't usually get struck by lightning or set themselves on fire. But once they start burning, they're gone. All uh, oh, that stuff drives me out of my mind. Out of my mind. Um, here's another story. This one comes out of um, Massachusetts. Looks like the governor, uh, Charlie Baker. Uh, is not real popular in the gun world. Uh, gun shop owners are not taking kindly to the demand that they close their doors during the coronavirus crisis after he labeled them non-essential. Uh, in March, uh, Baker, a Republican, ordered all non-essential businesses to close their physical workplaces and facilities, both workers and the public, until April 7th. Last week, he extended that order through May 4th. The state published a list of businesses and organizations it considers essential uh, that would allow to keep their brick and mortar facilities open. Notably, not on the role of essential businesses were gun shops. However, firearms and ammunition manufacturers, importers and distributors, uh, distribution centers were on the list. Um, but that hasn't stopped the gun owners. A uh, guy who runs the gun runner dedicated to your second amendment rights. Uh, was on WBZ TV. His name is uh, John Costa. He owns the Gun Runner in Middleborough. He told WBZ that he not only disagrees with Baker's belief that his gun business is non-essential, but he also stated that he was constitutionally protected to stay open by the Second Amendment. He said, "Okay, under the Second Amendment, we have every right to defend ourselves." And uh, he's not taking any social distancing precautions either. He says. Um, you know, um, uh, no, I'm sorry. He's he's not taking those for granted. He is doing it. He's saying I'm letting my customers uh, come to the curb and I do all my business curbside outside. So it seems uh, I think he's right. Yeah, it's interesting to see the 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 constitutional lines being drawn here because I, f- I have a real problem with the idea you the government would be able to tell church that it can't meet under basically yes. any circumstances 
Now, I think if yes. I'm a church, I don't want that to happen right now. I don't want to have church. I want to do it online. I want to do it. I know we had someone who called in. I've heard there's a few of these that have happened across the country where they're kind of spreading out in like drive-through movie theater sort of uh, patterns and they have big loudspeakers mm-hmm. and everyone kind of sits on their back, uh, the back of their car or whatever and, and does it that way. Mm-hmm. I think that's seemingly totally acceptable. Uh, but like, I think as a church, I think you'd want to be able to protect the people as, as well as you can and do it online or mm-hmm. whatever. But like, I don't, I think if they decide, you know what, we're going to do it the way we want to do it. No social distancing. Like, I don't know that you can, I don't know that you can stop people from meeting. You can have regulations. They have regulations on every church, right? Every building has to be made, you know, to certain, there's certain regulations that every building has to make to be safe. And there's those sorts of things you could probably put on churches, but to say they can't meet, even if it is for a limited time is a, it's a really weird constitutional line. I know I feel weird about it when it comes to guns. They, that's what they did in New yeah, Orleans no, after it, Katrina. Exactly right. And it, and the problem is, is that it's A, the state doing it, not the federal government. So the state's doing it. Constitution and Bill of Rights, uh, you know, is applied differently in the states um, because the states have the quarantine power. The United States yeah. of America, the Fed, does not have the quarantine power. The states have that. And if they say all businesses, see where they're getting in trouble is essential businesses. And then they're saying that that's not essential. Well, a lot of people would say faith is essential. A lot of people would say guns are essential. Uh, and, and I would tend to agree with them on the gun thing. You can only get it at that store. It's not like faith. We can get online and we can do things and we can talk and, you know, share that way. But on guns, if I want to buy a gun, I'm, I, I got to go to the store. I got to get it. You know, I, I'm buying it from them. Oddly enough, because you know of regulations, I mean? they can't send them to you. Uh, so Correct. you have to physically exactly go right. to the store to get them. Yeah, that's true. It's exactly it, right. It's a weird line, though. I talked to uh, Jeremy Dice over at uh, First Liberty, and they do. And this is what they do for a living, which is like, you know, making sure that religious rights are protected all around the country. And he said that, you know, there's a pretty, pretty long history of limited time quarantine um, and the ability for states to stop right. this as long as it's very short and limited in scope. Um, but it is, I, it just makes me nervous that they can do it even for a minute. I, you know, this is, I understand that this is important and I'm, you know, I'm not going to church. If they opened up my church, I would still watch it online. I mean, I, I want to, you know, you want to take yeah, these precautions. It's just, I don't understand there has to be some sort of uh, like that. You could see these pastors that are getting in trouble now because of doing full out uh, services. You could see them going to court after this and winning. I mean, you know, the, the courts have generally speaking Especially, supported the state's rights to be able to limit this stuff, but I, you could see mm-hmm. it being overturned. Oh, and especially in places like we, you know, we talked to that pastor, where was he in Louisiana where he said, well, we don't have internet. Like, you know, I don't know. Our church does not have a big, you know, television broadcast kind of component to it. We don't have Internet. Uh, and a lot of the people that, that live here in that community, uh, he serves the underserved uh, community. Uh, and he said, we got to gather or we're not seeing each other. And so you, I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're telling these people that faith is not essential. Uh, I, I, I beg to differ with you 
on that. But it's it's a tough it's a tough place to be. Yeah. I think a really tough place to be. Seems like if you want to start with essential, maybe the the constitutionally guaranteed rights might be a place to kind of start with and say, hey, these things yeah. are pretty essential. Remember, essential. It, it, what is it? Mid March, where Joe Biden is still encouraging people to go to the polls and vote. They thought that was pretty essential. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, that's something you could do you know, uh, absentee, but they still were like, no, go out. That's no big deal. Go in Florida and go vote. It'll be great. So did you see, Stu, the, uh, the thing about uh, how much of the businesses have been closed? Because we took a wild <laughs> guess on when we say we've closed down America. How much of America have we actually closed? How much... How much is yeah. is not functioning right now? Right. And the reason and I was, we were talking about that was because I think in our heads, we think it's like 80 or 90 percent. Like, just like that's the feeling or in our in our hearts or the feeling that we're getting is 80 or 90 percent closed down. But we all realize that that can't be accurate. Right. I mean, there's there's a lot of things functioning. Most people I know who have jobs that are not like, you know, hands-on jobs that are working at home. There's a lot of people who are working at home. Many of these businesses are continuing to operate. They're just operating in a totally different way. So I think I asked you, like, what? give me a percentage. What, what percentage of the economy do you think is actually shut down right now? And you said... So I said 30. Yeah, 30%, which was your estimate, which is a, I think would be a, an estimate most people would think that's too small. That, that was kind of what I wanted to, to get out of you to see if that's wh- how you felt too. Because when I really it's, tried to do the uh, math on I it, gave, it seemed a lot smaller than I would have originally thought. Yeah, I gave 30% and I felt like that's a, that's a price is right number. You know, the closest <laughs> without going over. Right. You know, yeah. I, it could be 50 or 60. But since I was the only contestant, you know, I felt... I felt for sure 30%. And you lost I, on the prices right, apparently, because uh, you went over. I did. It was 29% did. is what they are now estimating, which is amazing. That was really that's just amazing. off the top of your head, 30% guess. But I mean, I think that's, that's an interesting, and, and I will say, in a weird way, I'm a little optimistic about that number. Because right? I, yeah, right? Like, I, you know, look, can we deal with the economy being shut down for a year? The answer to that, of course, is no. We're in uh, probably never-ending depression in, in some ways that way. Can we deal with two months of a 30% decrease? I mean, probably, right? I mean, it's, I think with the, you know, look, I, we're going to have all sorts of long-term problems associated with these trillion-dollar bills they keep throwing out there. There's no doubt about that. We're going to have major problems to deal with. Obviously, with the actual virus, which is a huge thing, but also, you know, the way that the government is cracking down on things and they're going to be grabbing power like crazy. And there's going to be all sorts of craziness that happens after this is going to be a big fight for all of us. But I mean, if the economy is really we lose 30 percent of it for, let's say, two or three months, you know, you're talking about a, a GDP drop, which will be devastating in many ways. But it might be something that's not as devastating as in our head where we're shutting down and it's just like mm-hmm. empty streets everywhere and mm-hmm. you know burned out buildings that never get rebuilt. It, there is that mm-hmm. sort of walking dead thing that's in our heads. And if we can come up with a way to turn this around relatively quickly, maybe there is reason for optimism. Maybe this thing can come back the way Trump has been talking about it. So do you want a pin in your in your bubble or... 
Do you, you're you're ruining my optimism already. I'm just I just finished yeah. outlining know, the case. So you want me to let you? I'll let you sit with it for a second. Okay, okay. Hold on. let me just Time's think for up. one second. Now, okay, there we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's the the downside of this. I have a feeling that thirty percent though are all of the real entrepreneurial style businesses. They're the small business person who yeah. uh, uh, operates a brick and mortar shop or restaurant or something like that. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, so it, all those stores that line all of our downtowns or even in the malls, those things are all closed. Uh, and that's a, you know, that 80% of the economy is small business. Yeah. One of the things I so that's a when big I deal. started with that point, one of the things I thought about is like, we obviously do a lot of online shopping already. And we're not going to stop buying things necessarily. We're just going to be buying those things online instead of in brick and mortar. How much of that is going to reverse? Because it was only like 20% of, of buying was online, which I was surprised. I thought it would be a little higher than that. Um, it was tw- going into this. It was about 20%. Still 80% of stuff w- was bought, you know, in, in brick and mortar stores, apparently. Um, but, you know, that number is going to go up, but it's not going to make up for all the loss. And the question is, if it comes yeah. back... And it's now, you know, 50% of stuff is bought online. It's going to be a huge adjustment for, for any, any store. I mean, it, look, the whole thing yeah. is, the, the landscape's going to change in massive, massive ways because of this. But, you know, may, again, when you're, I've been talking, we have a bunch of small business owner friends that we, you know, that we know. I'm sure you know them as well, Glenn. And it's like, you talk to them and it's just like, they're trying to figure out this program, which is a, a total, it's been a total disaster so far. It's, it's rolled out in a terrible way. I don't think they communicated it well. A lot of these banks don't even have access to these loans yet. So it's, you know, it's terrible. You, you know, you, they'll give you loans that will pay for, let's say, two months of salary for your workers. But then you, you have to keep them employed for four months for it to turn into a grant. So you have this gap there of like, if we don't come mm-hmm. back online you know we're in trouble the, the president is saying like you know look if if this doesn't if it's not enough we're going to pass more money which again is is, is a terrifying long-term aspect so yep. i mean it really is yep. it's a it's a mess right now